The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Welcome, and welcome to everyone who's here for the first time. Um, kind of an auspicious day. We're ending our summer training period, and we're beginning what's called the Fall Ango Training Intensive. And, um, yeah, so that's what I'm here to tell you about. Um, what we're going to be doing both here at the temple and at the monastery and everything in between as you travel through your life, going to work, um, in your relationships at home, everywhere. And I want to dedicate it to walking the path of peace, that ango means peaceful dwelling. And that starts within each of us. And probably why zazen is, is so critical is because We have to see what our contents are, if you will, and investigate compassionately and inquire um, our thoughts, words, and actions, and see what's true and what's not serving towards peace, towards not creating harm, practicing good, and actualizing that for others, which I'm sure if you showed up today, I guarantee that's in your DNA, (laughs) and most of us, actually. So there's a formal entry, which uh, some some people have been practicing for some time and have been to the monastery and done intensives might participate more formally. But here, I want to open it up to everyone, whether you come back here or not, that you're making a vow, which a vow is a direction. So vows help us direct ourselves. There's all kinds of vows. It's kind of like our true north, that that is your true north, that you're going to walk on this earth with, care for this earth with. It's so needed right now to walk this path of peace. And it takes time, so we're going to mess up. We're going to mess up royally. We're going to, you know, get in little booths and, and arguments and our anger will flare. But then it's, it's how we then recognize that and take care of it. That's the good thing is we're not destined in our karma or anything, but we can take care of our actions and our thoughts and our speech And sometimes doing that makes it even better when we catch that and we can come back and find a way through. And this could take, some events take years to unravel in that way, but we just head in that vow. We just keep committing to that vow in ourself. So as you were invited, there is a sheet out there, and I realize... I was talking to someone. I wouldn't sign up until I heard something. (laughs) I vowed. So if that appeals to you as you're leaving, you can just put your name up 
And like I said, whether you come back or not, it's just a direction that we're all um, pointing towards. So I wanted to tell you a little bit more about the history of Ango and um, how it came about. Um, so it traces its, its history back to the time of Shakyamuni Buddha, the founder of Buddhism. It wasn't called Buddhism. <laughs> There's no isms, but um, he did find a way to peace. He did offer us a, a vast amount of teachings on how to relieve stress and suffering, how to develop and cultivate qualities of heart and mind that make us feel good, that are helpful. And so that's what we have to practice. And each year, this was in India, and primarily in Varanasi is where he taught Varanasi. I happened to get there and sit in the place where the Buddha did Ango. That felt very cool. <laughs> I was like, okay, come on, bring it on. Give me some juju. And where all the disciples were, Mahapajapati and her women's sangha and all the disciples of the Buddha that were there, Shariputra, Mayakayash, everyone, because the, the water was rising because of the monsoon season and nobody could travel. It was, it was dangerous to travel. The roads were covered. And so everyone stayed in this one place with the Buddha and with all the teachers who he designated as having the ability to teach, who had been traveling all that time to different sanghas in different areas, and then brought back like what they learned. So, so everyone was bringing back a lot of wisdom, just like here. We all go out and we all bring in a lot of wisdom, what's needed. And they would create a kind of university. So there was temporary housing. I wish we could do that. Just set up a bunch of tents <laughs> and all like hang out around here. Um, but they would, they would have this temporary housing. So they were very close together, rubbing. You know, Mizumi Roshi used to say, Sangha is like being in a rock tumbler. And we all come in with sharp edges. And we need to bump. And that's how we get smoothed out. If we can make it through, we'll chip off some of those sharp edges and smooth them out a bit. So it's, it's hard work sometimes, delicious work at the same time, if we can stay with it and know that we can disagree, we can do that well, we can move. We are a committed community to try and work into um, the places that are transgressive or that we hurt one another. And that could take time as well and commitment. So there's a level of our own trust in what we want as well as what we can with each other and develop that. These things are not so easy, especially in today's world. And Buddha was offering lots of different teachings and ways to realize, actualize the fundamental matter. Who are we? What is our life? What is our death? This.
this. And this is what he was showing was who are we and how to relieve this stress and give us a path, which is the eightfold path. And feel free to step out if you have coughs or whatever. Um, So right speech, well, it starts with right view and right understanding and right intention and right speech, right livelihood. And it's not right as opposed to wrong. It's just finding the rightness of our situation and to develop ourselves in the taking refuge in the Buddha, which is our awakened mind that everyone has. Nobody's without it. No one without exception. It's not always used well, (laughs) but the Buddha mind is there. The Dharma, the teachings, the, the, the nature of phenomena that's true. Sometimes it's called the law. Dharma is probably one of the longest Wikipedia definition things <laughs> that I've ever seen. Um, and the Sangha, the harmony of things, the harmony of all beings, our interconnectedness, that what I do affects you. What you do affects me, affects everything. You know, it's like those butterfly wings in one country that as soon as a butterfly opens, we get the, we get the breeze. We get the breeze. So there is, because we are sound, vibrational beings, how we think, speak, and act vibrates. So you might think, something and it's not affecting but actually it sends out a few little waves and um, that is always intermingling and we're picking up on all of it right so there is an effect so that encourages us to take care of ourselves in this and it's not self-centered because if if you see it that way it has an effect and people will feel it, right? So part of the emphasis at that time and today is collective practice, doing it together, working closely with teachers and community and Sangha members. And there's also an emphasis on practicing alone, solitary practice, in your home, in your work, Every aspect of your life could be a Buddha field. So I always think I'm on the subway, and in my car, that's my sangha. These are my peeps. And, you know, when the car stops, and I don't know why, I'm like, all right, these are my peeps. (laughs) We're together in this, you know. So wherever you are is a sangha. Practicing what? We don't know. Everybody practices something. (laughs) We don't know what. But we try and use our good qualities to affect, to be effective. Not heavy-handed. Nobody wants to hear anybody proselytize about the Dharma in the office or somewhere. Um, But just with what we understand, with our being, with our actions, we give that away. And that has an effect. 
So the spirit of Ango is to intensify our practice. And I know when we hear the word intensify, some of us panic. Like, oh no, I'm, I'm up to here already. I can't do any more. It's not that. It's just to focus more on practicing, getting dharma in our life. More dharma is more dharma, is more help. So through reading, through sitting more, through what you're already doing, but how you look at what you're doing, your perspective, that, you, that look at where you fight what you're doing, that's dharma practice. If you can make a shift in what you're already doing, if you don't like going to work, but you have to go to work, where do you find your happiness? That's not somewhere else or somebody else. Nobody can take that. So can we find something in what we have to do, which is not always what we want to do? Sometimes we want to do things, but sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do. And how do we do take that in and find our our aliveness, our happiness is not taken away. It's possible. And I'm sure many of us have read stories of people in the worst circumstances. We're pretty good. We're okay. If you're sitting here, we're probably pretty okay in the most part. But some people practice in dire situations and their happiness is there. What is that? So to increase and strengthen all kinds of useful qualities of mind, mindfulness, alertness, concentration, goodwill, practice kindness. You have to practice that. I have had to. There's certain times where I just would get a little bit of a sharp edge of my rock and I'd try kindness. And boy, does the universe respond. So in these places where we want to react or snap out, try it different. That's the intensifying. It's just watching more, being more careful. That's the path of peace we're looking at, committing to. What we share is wild and alive. We are wild and alive. I used to have a, a drawing retreat. It was called Drawn to be Wild. It was a lot of fun. Let that wildness out. My brother used to play that, Born to be wild. I used to come out of his room all the time. And I really <laughs> dug it. So that's why I thought of that. Anyway, um, it doesn't mean to panic. It just means to deepen, intensify, to deepen. Focus on our love for life, to not create harm, to practice good, to actualize good for others. Those are the three pure precepts. When you step in here, you are in the the precepts. You are guided by the precepts. We hold them in our practice here. Um, I'll be doing a retreat on an introduction to the precepts if you'd like to learn more about the Buddhist precepts emerging from no self, selflessness, as selfless as we can be, and different perspectives on how, if there's no God, 
how do we know what's right and wrong? How do we respond? Um, when is it when is it compassion and when is it not? So we'll look at the aspects of that. So Buddha knew practicing more intensely means greater opportunities to recognize the Buddha mind. And the Buddha mind is steady, eternal, all-embracing, womb-like, tathagata-garbha, the womb of suchness. And Mara, who's the kind of the other mind we have, <laughs> Mara, the tempter, the, the one that sort of gets narrow and turns us away, will appear as well. We know that part, like when you come to Sunday program and it's early and Mara says, where do you think you're going? Don't you want to sleep another few hours? You know, what's the point? Or, and you know, you have to, it just gives you discernment at that point. Mara helps us discern the direction we want to go in. Peace does not mean to be in a place where there's no noise, no trouble, no hard work, but to be in the midst of those things and still be calm in our heart. Yeah. So we're encouraged not to get lost in the congestion of our mind. And we have a path of learning how to be unshakable or to shake completely and be held in shaking. So we can shake together. That's important, because we're shaking. So not to get lost and overwhelmed in shaking, but to let that be what it is without putting more on it, but just feel the shake. When Buddha was teaching his son Rahula, he said, look at your actions. Before you act, look at your intentions. If you think that what you're going to say or think is harmful, You've got to tell yourself, no, don't do that. If you don't foresee any harm, then you can do it. And if while you're doing it, you see that harm is happening that you didn't anticipate, stop. Otherwise, you'll keep on doing it. Then when you're done, you reflect on the long-term consequences of your actions. If you see that there was any unforeseen harm, then you resolve not to repeat that mistake again. If you don't see that there was any harm, then you can take joy in the fact that you're training your mind well, and you haven't harmed anybody at all. (laughs) So how can we each live this? So we're starting with this opening ceremony, and during the 90 days, we focus on a topic. We have a very good one, this ongo. They're all good. And it's not like it's not something we haven't been looking at, but we kind of bring it into a sharper focus for us. First, let me say we have a chief disciple this fall season. So a chief disciple is a person who is practicing. They're a student. And they're just kind of put more up front to be an example of how to practice with their own practice, with their own life and their own hardships and their own adequacies and inadequacies and harm, they're up front showing themselves. And they've been picked by their teacher. It's not like, you know, 
everyone's a, we're perfect and complete, lacking nothing, and, and, and <laughs> we still have to take care of what we do. And so um, our chief disciple is a monastic, this, this Ango, Taikyo, Yusin Taikyo Gilman. And she was there at the monastery shortly after I started. Uh, I got to the monastery in 1989, and I moved in in 1990. And I remember um, a couple years later, uh, Suzanne arrived, <laughs> and we shared an office together. So I had plenty of good practice with her. Uh, in a, it was a big room that like about six of us were in. <laughs> cram, may I say. Um, so we were stones pretty close together. And um, yeah, so she's been in and out of residency. Through She didn't stay consecutively. And re- more recently, in the past, I don't know, eight, maybe more years, she's lived in full-time residency. So I'm very happy to my Dharma sister and be the chief disciple. And she will be joining us at some point down here. I asked her to come. Our theme for Ango is uh, Dogen. So Master Dogen is a 12th century Zen master who wrote a profound book of literature, spiritual literature. Incredible. It was actually hidden for a while. It was so powerful. They were like, let's tuck this away. And then it was revealed again years later, and now we have it, and with many translations. And he has these short, short and long fascicles on teachings throughout his short life. He, only, he was born in 1200 and died 1253. So 53 years was his life. And he started Eiheiji Monastery in Japan. Um, but this fascicle is the 50 number 51. So he was writing these when he was in his 20s up through his 50s, which is amazing to think of that, right? So I'm not sure the year of this one. I didn't get it. I I wish I had, but probably was in his 40s. And it's called Intimate Language, Mitsugo. Intimate Language. And here's a quote from Intimate Language from Kaz Tanahashi. When you know yourself, you know intimate action. Thus, Buddha ancestors can thoroughly actualize this intimate heart and intimate language. Intimate means close and inseparable. There is no gap. Intimacy expresses Buddha ancestors. It embraces you. It embraces the self. It embraces action. It embraces generations. It embraces merit. It embraces intimacy. The intimate language of Dharma transmission that we're receiving constantly, whether it's silent and zazen or anything we do, is the intimate transmission of the Dharma, which is going on constantly from little bees that you see in, in the park on pollinators to trash on the side of the road. This is all speaking dharma and transmitting intimate language. If we can hear with our eyes, 
and see with our ears, as Daido Roshi would say, that kind of intimacy that we're developing. A venerable old teacher taught that all hearts have the same language. No matter what one's language or nationality, the heart has nothing but simple awareness, which is why they said that all hearts have the same language. Dharma fits the heart perfectly because the Dharma isn't any particular language. So we'll be looking at this intimacy. What is it? What is intimacy for you? How, how do we be intimate, close, and inseparable? No gap. And we'll look at this in a variety of ways through academic study. So Shugen Roshi at some point will, in October, I believe, do a, an ongo intensive focusing on intimate study. Part of that will be through um, the mind trainings of Atisha, which I'll speak of in a moment. We'll do it through art practice. The theme of the art practice is intimate expression. Daito Roshi writes in the Zen of Creativity, although in intimate expression there is no sound, this expression cannot be called silent. This is not a matter that can be grasped by linear, rational, dualistic thinking, thinking that sets up polarities and oppositions, good against bad, heaven against earth, self against other, form against emptiness, speech against silence. Intimacy is not a matter that exists in the realm of polarities. There's no dualities. Intimacy is the place where opposites merge. So there's always a relationship. Where do they merge? So we'll be looking at that in art practice. And there's um, a quote from Basho I pulled out, which is on writing on poetry. And he says, go to the pine if you want to learn about the pine. Or go to the bamboo if you want to learn about bamboo. <laughs> and in doing so, you must leave your subjective preoccupation with yourself. Otherwise, you impose yourself on the object and do not learn. So we'll try and work with that kind of intimacy where we can release ourselves more and hear the language of what we're merging with and our materials. Your materials could be anything. Poetry, drawing, writing, movement. I mean, lots of ways to create. So it's all accepted. And I'll be doing something online on Friday mornings you can join or come to me here if you need to get started. We'll be doing some work together. Another part of manifestation of intimate language is we'll be having a choir. The Karenji Choir is starting today. (laughs) And I'm so excited about this. It's learning how to merge as one voice one body, one song. Chanting has always been part of many traditions, not just Zen. But when there was no writing, how do we remember things? 
It's how many of us get a song in our head? That's how we remember. We chant it. We sing it. So we can remember the teachings. So the early poems of the women in the Tathagata, the women sang these poems so they would remember the teachings. Milarepa sang. Hakuin sang. So we're singing. We're singing. And we're going to rehearse three Sundays a month. So it has a commitment to it. And you can, we know everyone can't make everything, but we'll record. You have to sign up if you want to commit. It's online. We're starting today. Um, so, um, and it's led by uh, Justin Ward Weber. Was sort of a gift from the universe, and they are a gift from the universe. I just asked one day after Sunday program, does anybody compose or like direct music or like can like teach people how to be in harmony because we sing so awful together sometimes? <laughs> can, can somebody help with that? And afterwards, Justin said, that's what I do. And I said, you could teach harmonies? That's what I do. You can compose? That's what I do. <laughs> I said, do you want to do this? They said, yes. And then we realized our schedules matched, which was the next big thing. So we were like, this is meant to be. So they will be here um, 2 o'clock to 3 or 3.30 today. If you're in it, we're asking that you wear a mask for today, these first two rehearsals, since we're going to be putting a lot of juice out. We'll meet here in the Sangha. And I would like to dedicate this merits of this choir to my Dharma brother, Choke Yukon. So Yukon was uh, diagnosed about a week ago. It was kind of fast with a pressure on his brain uh, around it. It's a, it was a lump that he had taken out. And um, those of you who know him, he touched, touches all of our lives deeply. And the first thing he asked me when I went to visit him is, did the choir start? <laughs> How are you? Did the choir start? And I was like, it's happening this Sunday. He's like, I, wanna, I so want to meet this person. I want to be there. So I will be sending him recordings as he can listen. Uh, but I want to dedicate um, it to him because he had been so supportive when I brought this up and was like, really? Like, should I do this? And he was just like, do it. I was like, all right, I am. <laughs> so, um, so the mind trainings of Atisha, called Lojong. So this isn't in the Zen tradition, but it's good to, we, it's not like we're in Zen and we can't look at any other tradition's practices. I do. They're in my practice. It's not my main practice, but I definitely want help. And these phrases were created by Atisha. So this is in, he was, he was born in Tibet in 982, died in 1054. So when you hear them, they had the same problems then as they, we do now with being human. So it's not news, right? This has been going on for a long time that we're working with ourselves and evolving and developing. And uh, so there's some pithy slogans we're going to look at. I'll give you a sample to study these wisdom teachings. 
offering this message that we can use our difficulties and problems to awaken. Whatever we say is my problem, my difficulty, how do we use that to awaken? Bring it to the path. Because it's appearing for good reason. It's, it's a tangle. It's a difficulty, a problem for, for a reason. Either what we believe about ourselves or what's true, or there's just a tangle. And so how do we enter the tangle? That's all Zen transmission is about. Transmitting tangles. The rest speaks for itself. So a teacher will try and tangle you to see if you're tangled until you're not, until they pull the rug out and you fall and they dust you off and they put you up and then you keep practicing and then you get tangled up again and then we work, we keep working through. So um, we'll look at Atisha's training and Machik Lobdron, who was a female Tibetan teacher who had three phrases. So she, did, she reduced it to three. <laughs> there's nothing that we can't cut through. And there's no perspective we can't let go of. That was two of her phrases. Confess your hidden faults. There's nothing we can't cut through. And there's no perspective that we can't let go of. So these teachings start with these basics of appreciating the preciousness of life, of human life, being aware that the reality of life, that death comes for everyone. Um, Recall that whatever we do, whether virtuous or not, has a result. What goes around comes around, called karma. And contemplate that as long as you are too focused on self-importance, too caught up in thinking about how good or bad you are, you will suffer. Obsessing about what we want and avoiding what we don't want does not result in happiness. So the noble truths are in there. So here's an example. One is drive all blames into one. And they're not always what we think. Okay, drive all blames into one. So that's an advice of how to work with each other. Because we're all looking for someone to blame. (laughs) And therefore, that keeps aggression going. Blame is aggressive. Yeah? It's neurotic. I feel it's neurotic. Trumpa would say that. And that can keep expanding, because it just keeps getting more and more scary. So we pause and look what's happening for us, what's happening for you. That's what these slogans do. When we hold tightly to a view and we get hooked, when we're in our own self-righteousness and how that causes us to suffer and uh, those around us. So we work with cooling. That's what's the antidote, cool off the reactivity instead of escalating it. Be grateful to everyone. Others will show us exactly where we are. (laughs) Right? So be grateful. Be grateful to everyone. Don't act with a twist. Acting with a twist means having an ulterior motive of benefiting yourself. A sneaky approach. 
don't be so predictable, and on and on. There's 59 of them. So this guy was looking at himself. He's like, oh, there's one. Ah, another one. <laughs> and 59 of them he offered us. Interesting, 59. Like, couldn't he hit 60? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I guess I like that. It's a little, like, it's not 60. Like, I set my alarm to, like, 507 rather than 10 or 5, because that's just so common. I just, 59. It's good. Okay. So um, here we'll have half-day sits in person and online. It's good as much as possible, I think, to be together. And online is helpful. We'll have an, a Zazenkai each month. There's not one scheduled, which is an all-day sit. Not one scheduled for November yet, but I'm just watching that. We'll have some art, open hearth art presentations. We've got um, um, Josephine. She's going to do a, a presentation in September. And um, they'll be continuing throughout the quarter. Seifu's going to do one for us. And, and then uh, Cr- Christian McEwen is going to do, she just finished a book on deep listening. And um, so she's going to do an evening reading and then a two-hour writing, listening practice on a, on a Saturday. I'll be doing um, Atisha copying and reading. So if you want to come together, we're going to make our own scrolls so you can put it up in your room. And we're going to read each slogan and what Judy Leaf offers as a teaching and then copy them on our own scroll. So there'll be two dates for that. And you can come to both or one. We'll just keep it going. So it's kind of, it's a, again, scribing, writing out is a good way to take in teachings that you actually, as you write it out, you're concentrated and you see what you're writing and it imprints. It imprints that way. So we're going to do that kind of work together the precepts retreat, and um, as you'll hear, just go online, and if you're going to the monastery or here, that's all posted. And then there'll be some environmental um, stuff we have to really look at and join together with, right? So, um, Cheek, you will be doing some um, one this Thursday night next week. Is it Thursday? Are you here, Cheek, Yeah, Thursday. This Thursday, Thursday, right, of this coming week. We'll sit a period and then join Chikyu to introduce uh, some of the rebel practices um, group that's working with climate crisis. And there is a march coming up. So we hope to gather here to go to that. So some of you might want to join in that. And it matters. It's like your presence, our presence and our body, and bringing that forward is, is a way to show intimacy and express intimate language. So perhaps you might want to find out more about this together. So now I want to move into our, our opening ceremony. And I put it at the end so I could tell you what, you were, what was opening. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be like, eh. 
so that when you are invited, you can offer, <laughs> you can offer incense today. And even if it's your first time to walk the path of peace and then sign up, everyone's welcome to do that. It's, there's some granular incense. You, you touch it to your forehead because that's a mind-to-mind transmission. That's why incense goes up to your head. You see us go like this and then offer it because we're offering our intentions, our goodwill in that offering. So that's what you do. You just offer your goodwill, your intentions, and uh, we'll chant the Jizo Shingandarani. It's a repetitive um, chant, mantra, if you will. And Jizo Bodhisattva was the uh, Bodhisattva known for guiding travelers and seeing over women and children, and especially pregnant women and children and people on traveling. So you're going to be traveling in and out through the temple. So I wanted this Jizo Shingandarani to be protection for your traveling and holding the Dharma practice as you go along. So it's um ka ka kabisa ma e so akal. Um ka ka kabisa ma e so akal. And Yunin's going to give us a little heartbeat on our drum from New Zealand uh, to keep the beat, which will get inside us a little more. And then the liturgist Kisei will start us off with an entering verse, why we come here, and then a closing dedication Kisei will do. Okay, so thank you, and I hope to see you over Ongo, and um, do keep touch if you need more information or guidance. We'd be happy to do that with you. There's lots of people here you can talk to today. You see people with a black square. Uh, it's not a, a hand warmer, as, <laughs> as I always thought when I first started practice. I was like, how come, every, how come everybody's like got their hands in something here? But it's, um, it's a... Um, Raksu, which was a miniature version of what I'm wearing, the Buddha's kesa, but we all wear the Tathagata's teaching. So everyone wears the robe of the Buddha, whether you have one on or not. It's like we all wear that robe if we're practicing, and some have committed to the path of a bodhisattva. So it's basically, uh, my teacher used to say, they're wearing a shingle that says, at your service, may I help you. And that's helping them develop as well. So it's a bodhisattva path. Okay, so I will I will get up first and um, make. We'll do three full bows. I'd like to do to start off. If you're in the back, you can just make standing prostrations at any time, especially if your knees can't take it. And then um, we'll start the chant and open up some incense boxes. The ushers will prepare them. Um, and then we can make rows and whatever incense box opens, including the one um, up here, you can go to any of them and just, again, take a little bit. It's going to get kind of smoky, so we can open the back doors. Um, don't take a big pile of it, just just a little pinch, so, you know. Yeah. But we have good good air system here. And then we'll close. And then we'll have some refreshments on the sidewalk together.
Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.